So how, like you're 27 now, you're going into 30. Um, you, I assume, identify as a man, right? So how has it been for you, like growing up as a man? I mean, in the United States as a Muslim, um, obviously your time, I mean, our time, like I'm part of, I'm alive and with you, right? But, you know, I obviously have noticed like so many changes in the last three years, in the last five years, certainly in the last 10 years. And certainly since I was in college around, you know, social, cultural, political perceptions of masculine femininity, gender, roles, marriage, sexuality. I mean, everything's just basically not what it was a few years ago, right? Even, you know, there's still stuff being pushed in um, federal legal ways in the United States to implement some far left perceptions of the world and family and the institute that makes up society. I mean, all these things are being challenged, redefined. But we're going to focus more on like masculinity, being a man. I mean, at, you know, to me, it's quite obvious when you get all these different uh, men's movement reactions. It's probably a response to um, some of the feminism that has been around for the last couple of years, right? Several years and how and any group or ideology can go into dogma or extremes. And so you get now responses to that, right? So I feel like today there's just there's a lot of these like big men celebrities on YouTube or, you know, who are just speakers and they're all, you know, and there's certainly like a, a category, I want to say like a market of like men's development, men's work, men's movement. Um, yeah. Have, I mean, you've noticed this, I'm sure. And like, have you noticed any particular gentlemen that stick out to you these days as far as like what they're talking about, how they're contributing? Yeah, I would say there are three in particular, of course, Andrew Tate being um, first and foremost, um, and then followed by Jordan Peterson. And then this guy named Hamza on YouTube. Um, I love Hamza because he has dedicated his entire YouTube channel to self-improvement for young men or men. Um, in fact, he has full guides uh, for things like he has a video called a full guide to like how to be a teenager, getting through your teenage years, full guides of like exercising. So, I mean, he has really dedicated the last few years of his life, um, you know, really focusing on helping young men go through that development because like, like me, we, him and I went through sort of similar things as we grew up together, right. As we grew up uh, in the sort of same time period. So I would say those three individuals uh, immediately stick out to me. Mm -hmm. And Hamza is the one you're familiar with. His name is just Hamza, but he's just Hamza. Pretty big, yeah. pretty big influence in like the Muslim community or ev everywhere. Like a lot of men like enjoy. So it. he's actually an ex-Muslim, interestingly enough. Oh no way! Um, okay. Yeah, and so his journey is really unique because you see him go like have this like realization of like, hang on a minute, you know, like I wasn't really taught how to be a man growing up. I wasn't really taught masculine values, things on. Uh, things like manhood, masculinity. And so you see him go through this, this sort of journey. And now he's at a point where he just released a video, I think a week or two ago, titled um, Why I Started Reading the Quran, right? And again, this is an ex-Muslim guy who was an atheist, who was actually said outwardly he's an atheist, but he's gotten to that stage now. So he was born Muslim, though. That's why his name is Hamza. Yeah, born into a Muslim or family. What? His parents are Muslim. Okay. Yeah, um, he lives in the UK. Uh, but uh, he's starting to recognize and see how much impact religion can have in a society and why it's so beneficial in a society. And again, again, this is him coming to it on his own terms, right? Nobody's forced him. Sure, he's been on like Muslim podcasts here and there, 
but you know, he just made that journey by himself. Has he ever talked about why, you know, he was, I mean, I, I get it, right? Like we're born, we can either be Muslim by chance, like we're born into a Muslim family, but a lot of us still have to become Muslim by choice at some point, you know, like you do have to take your Shahada sincerely within between you and Allah at some point in your life. Like, I believe that, like, you can't just, you know, go through all the motions unconsciously, you know, perform the religious arts for everyone. And you don't really, it's not really for you, right? Even the Prophet said, you know, whoever says the Shahada, uh, you know, whoever says it with sincerity in sincere states, then Jannah is for them, right? In other words, you'll experience the garden of the world, the garden in the Akhara, but it has to be a sincere thing. So something sincere has to be pure, clear, understood, right? So, I mean, I'm not surprised, honestly, dude, I've worked with so many Muslims at this point in my life or that I can understand why somebody would leave any religion, right? But even Islam in our times. But uh, did he ever talk about that himself? Like why that was the case? Or is it more of like, look, I never really chose this so just because i was born into it doesn't mean i want to ascribe to it or did he really go into a hard like i'm an atheist religion is bad kind of phase like i don't i'm not familiar with him so maybe you know yeah so in his video when he talks about why i started reading the quran he mentions that the reason he sort of left islam was because he felt so ostracized like he felt so different from everyone else right growing up in the uk um and not being surrounded by that many Muslims for him, not being surrounded by that many Muslims or being surrounded by a lot of people who weren't, uh, you know, like Pakistani or Desi like himself um, was one of the reasons why he left Islam ultimately. And he just sort of adapted the you know, sort of UK values, sort of UK culture um, as a replacement for, you know, his religion of, you know, of, of Islam. And he even mentioned at one point uh, in, in another video, how, um, you know, he was that sort of atheist guy that's like, you know, oh, we have science now, we don't need religion. Um, and it, it, it's funny because the video, this video that I'm talking about, it's about where he saw two Muslim women um, at the gym. And uh, some gyms have, you know, they sort of have this uh, jacuzzi area in some gyms. And he saw them like in a full, uh, I guess you call it like burkini. And he was just very struck by that he found that as very profound because for him it was like you know with the amount of degeneracy that's in the world um you have these two women here that chose not to show themselves and to still honor and modest and be modest um uh, while still being somewhere like in a jacuzzi wow interesting so that's what struck that was one of the striking points for him interesting yeah yeah i'm just taking that in dude yeah, for sure. It's one of those points where it's it's one of those things he he said in the video where he, um, you know, in an earlier point in his life, had he seen something like that, he would have been upset about it. Like if he had seen two Muslim women in a jacuzzi wearing burkinis, he would have been upset about it. But like he got to a point in his life where he's like, hang on a minute, like this is this is different. Like this is these are two women who are just choosing to honor themselves. And of course, it's it's quite rare to see that these days um people who openly do that and so how did you find some of his other work like guide on how to be a teenager or you know the masculinity portion of things and what have you found the most beneficial from his channel as far as like helping you develop as a young man well some of the videos he's made um talk about things like 
focusing on your mission, focusing on your purpose. Um, he's made videos about things like, um, you know, to, to stop playing video games. Like he's very adamant against like young men playing video games. He just sees that as a waste of time, which I, I see his point. And I don't necessarily disagree with him on that point. Um, but I would say as far as like focusing on your purpose as a man is one of those like key things. Um, he also made a video about like how to get over, you know, you know, you go through, like, for example, you go through a courtship or let's say in this instance, a breakup and like just ways and steps you can steps you can do to go get over something like that in your life. Um, but I would say primarily just like focusing on your mission, focus on your you know priority as a man. And uh, how so like what does it mean for a man to find his purpose or purposes, you know, from what you learned there or, you know, is it just uh like, cause again, everybody has their, I want to say model of like, look, if you accomplish these things, like, like, for example, there's many young men who grow up, their parent fathers never tell them you should be in good shape. You should have a good relationship with iron, like lifting weights and, you know, being strong. Most of the time we hear you should go to school, get straight A's, go to an Ivy league school, get some kind of a career and otherwise obey your parents. Right. So it's like, some people, that's all they know. And that's what they're taught. Like, this is what it means to be a good son and become a man, for example, right? Yeah, that's a good question, right? Um, I think there are things that men generally should prioritize or see as their purpose. Um, and number one, that should be like a career that they're passionate about um, to be able to provide. And I think that's one of the sort of uh, masculine qualities is to provide, um, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that in the Quran that men are, are the providers. And so that's one of those sort of qualities that all men should sort of, um, have within themselves to be able to provide. Um, and then there are things that they should do that they should prioritize in their life. For example, they should prioritize being in good shape, exercising. Um, in fact, uh, my reels that I've posted on Instagram, I've posted two reels that are about brothers, like encouraging them to exercise, to go work out, go to the gym, you know, to focus on this because one of the great Stoke philosophers, Seneca, he says this, he says, we should be, um, we should be rigorous with the body. So it's not disobedient to the mind, you know? So the idea of like being strong, physically helps you become better mentally as well because those t those two things go hand in hand with each other um so of course you know working out going to the gym that's one thing that men should be doing and i think another thing in my opinion that men should be doing as a as a something that they do maybe on a daily basis maybe once a week something like that um i think reading is huge i think men should read books and i think they should be reading books that are nonfiction. So it's like mental exercise. Too. It's like a mental gym. Exactly. And the thing is with some things that people don't understand is that, that you, your brain can become rusted quote unquote over time by just, I guess, letting go of this idea of like reading, just sitting down for like 15 minutes a day to be able to read. And you don't have to read much. It's like 15, 15 minutes a day makes a whole, whole difference. Um, in your life and um just like physical exercise 15 minutes a day makes a big difference if you're consistent you know? and even with exercise it doesn't have to be anything that's too complicated i mean you have got push-ups you don't need a gym for that you can do sit-ups you can go run outside like you can do things 
as far as exercise without even having to go to a gym ever. Yeah, sure, it may become um, you know, really redundant over time, uh, but it, it can last you for quite a quite quite some time just sticking to things like push-ups, sit-ups, going outside for runs, jogging, things like that. And uh, and then I personally believe uh, the last thing would be just journaling. I think the idea of writing, um, to be able to take what you're thinking, um, especially a thought that comes to mind, which is repeated over and over. I think the best way to flush that out is just writing it down and where you can just take it from your mind and put it onto a piece of paper. You know, um, and Frank, she said, paper is more patient than people. And I love that quote because it's like, yeah, you can just write and write and write and you're not going to hear anything back, right? Because you can just write for as long as you want. You can write as much as you want as well. Um, I love journaling. I think it's it's become a part of me. It's one of my favorite things that I love doing on a daily basis, or if not every day, then every other day. That's amazing, man. And when did you start like taking physical exercise more seriously in your life? I began taking exercising seriously when I was 25. So actually about a little over two years ago uh, from today, it was... Dude, uh, you look jacked compared to <laughs> when I saw you when you were 25, by the way, like when I first yeah. saw you. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. No, that, that means a lot. It's uh, it's such, it is such a difference, dude. I mean, I, I, mean, I can witness it because I've, you know seen you over the couple, yeah, last couple yeah. Of years. Yeah. And, um, I had to sort of lose a ton of weight, um, that I sort of gained up in my early twenties. I lost a ton of weight. And then about two years ago, I was essentially at my lowest, which was about 160, 165, but I was also just really skinny. And I lost a lot of that muscle when I went through that weight loss journey. Um, and then I took it very slowly as far as implementing exercise as a, a weekly thing. And a lot of the tips I learned uh, was from Atomic Habits by James Clear, uh, the idea of building habits, right? And so I started off by just doing, you know, two exercises, excuse me, exercising twice a week with resistance bands. And I would work out for about 20 minutes. And then I would do that three times a week. And then I began implementing resistance band and dumbbells together. And then I would do cardio with that. And then eventually that moved into calisthenics and then that turned into going to the gym and then alhamdulillah today, you know, I'm going to the gym five days a week. And how, I mean, you, this is all very fresh. So it's like experiencing those changes and those shifts, the incremental buildup till now, like tell us more about how that actually makes you feel in your body, in your mind. How does it, how does that maybe even affect your spiritual practices or relationships? Mm, yeah. Well, number one, I think it's a, it's an amazing way to build confidence as a young man when you're going through exercising because you can see in real time that you are quite literally leveling up in real life, right? This isn't a video game. Like this is real life. You're leveling up. Um, and I think that's what's so interesting about video games is that they take this idea of, of a person sort of getting, doing something better or getting better at something and they'll just put it onto a screen where you can do it in a sort of a virtual way. But with exercising, you, you can see like, yes, I'm, you're getting stronger. You're losing that weight. And for me, it was remarkable, especially when I started going to the gym, that I can actually see that I'm getting stronger, like I'm 
benching more. I'm being able to squat more, leg press more. Um, and that just builds so much confidence within yourself, right? You don't have to wait for someone to say something to you to build confidence, although that's nice. Um, you're just, you're seeing it every day, you know, like five days a week for myself. But I would also say that as far as like spirituality, that it's helped me uh, realize that like my body's a gift. Like my body's in a mana first and foremost, like I'm going to be asked about this body. And I, I don't want a body that's weak and frail by the time I'm 40 and 50. I want a body that's strong by the time I'm 40 and 50. I want a body that's um, capable enough where I can play sports with my children one day, inshallah. Like that's the type of body I want to have, you know? And so I take it very seriously. And knowing that it, my body is in a manna um, just gives me that sort of ambition and determination to say like, look, I need to take care of this and I don't want it to go to waste. Yeah. That's great, man. I mean, again, it looks like you're, you know, trying to keep up with the physical, you know, discipline or relationship, you know, that to your body. I feel like it's something that's so missing from, you know, it's not, a, again, it it's, doesn't seem like an integral part of our religious Islamic education for the most part, you know, like we don't really learn how important it is to take care of your body, to eat healthy. Like, in fact, we have a lot of bad modeling, I think, for that sometimes in our communities, you know. I, like, I remember just working with different people that just have all this anxiety, all this stress, all this like negative mental. And it's like, they, they don't, they, they're very religious, right? They pray every, five times a day. They're all about their Quran and fifth house. It's like, but they don't move. It's like your body's built to move, right? Get up and do something with it. Like, it's not meant to just sit around and absorb more things in a notepad. And, you know, that's it. And, you know, some people, like, if you think about it, it's like the five daily prayers, if you do that and don't do any other exercise, it's like the basic minimum that Allah made the human, like, just get up off your ass and do something. Like, <laughs> it's like at minimum, get up and do this, right? If you're not one to think, you know? And of course, in the past, it was different. I mean, everything you had to walk to and use your body to do, right? Now it's just click, give me a ride, click, get, send me food, click, get paid to send someone money, whatever, right? But uh, yeah, super important. Diet plays such a huge part to just feeling better throughout the day. Like, yes, I love Desi food. I'm Pakistani. Love Pakistani food. But man, I feel so much better when I'm not eating Nahari like twice a day for a, for a full week or like Desi food for a full week. I'm sorry. I feel so much better. Like cutting down on the non, cutting down on the oily and greasy food. I feel substantially better. Um, and just sticking to like whole foods process, you know, you know, foods like, you know, boiled eggs or like things like eating fruit, like bananas, which, um, you know, I do either before I go for a workout or even after a workout, perhaps. Um, but I feel so much better throughout the day. I feel like I'm less inclined to just lay down and do nothing, you know, because oftentimes when I eat daisy food, I have this. I just like, I, I'm like almost in a food coma afterwards. So I have to take a nap, right? <laughs> so. No, man, it's, it's, it's a huge realization. I mean, I remember having that, alhamdulillah, back in college where I just realized like eating Burger King is really bad for you, right? And I realized like, wow, like the food I eat is real fuel and provides real energy for my system. Like I should probably stop eating crap that's dead and processed, right? Like I need to eat healthy food. So yeah, I mean, even till now, like my wife will make vegetables for my kids and like steam them and sometimes like overboil them. I'm like, dude, they should just eat them raw. Like I love eating raw vegetables, like the crunch, you know, dip it in a little olive oil or something, you know, 
but you know, overcooking vegetables too. And it's like, there's also, there's also right ways to eat healthy food, let's say, right? So yeah, that's great, man. And uh, have you followed or listened more like, so let's say Hamza represents kind of more of this like youth development, physical fitness, health. I feel like Jordan Peterson is certainly more of a, you know, mental health, psychological, you know, approach to things because, you know, he has a clinical psychological background. So, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed some of his, you know, um, educational lessons for years now. I mean, he's been big for years now. It feels like, again, time's flying, but like since the, uh, the whole thing that happened with him at his university. Um, but yeah, how do you, what, what are your thoughts about his approach? Because he's also been, interestingly enough, in like the last couple of years or year specifically had a lot more engagement with the Muslim community. And then there's what, what's what we could talk about there too, like how that's all happening if you're familiar, but. Yeah. With Jordan Peterson, uh, um, I feel that he most resonates with young men from like college age and onward, maybe like post-college age and onward. Um, and even him, he himself noticed that when he began doing lectures and going, you know, around the country, around the United States, he noticed that the majority of the people in his audience are men. And he found that interesting because he said in his own sort of psychoanalysis that he's done, um, the research that he's done over the, over his court, the course of his career, that women have a stronger proclivity to do, to go to something like a lecture where you sit down and you listen to something. Right. But he noticed that with his own lectures, the majority of people that are going are men. So he's like, why is this happening? Like, why are men coming to sit and listen to me talk for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, right? This is not something that men are, have the, they, we don't, they don't have a general proclivity to do something like this. Right. Um, even in his book, 12 rules for life, he has a whole chapter dedicated to, uh, cleaning your room, right? The idea that your room is you. So whatever your room looks like is essentially what your mind is like, right? So he's very big on like, just clean up your room because it'll clean up your life. And he's often gotten emails where people have told him like, look, when I cleaned up my room, I, my life changed because it's like what you're doing physically ends up changing yourself mentally, right? Because again, your, your room is representative of what's going on inside your mind. Um, I mean, his whole book, 12 Rules for Life, is essentially um, helping young men uh, go through the sort of the, the, the fog of like modernism and like secularism and like nihilism in a way, right? Um, he's very big on like pulling young men out of nihilism. Um, and although he's not per se, like he's not Christian, right? He's not a religious person per se. Um, he also does see the sort of um, negatives when it comes to like atheism, when it comes to nihilism, things like nihilism. And so that's sort of his niche. If you know, I like how he approaches even religion. I mean, he has a whole series on like the Bible and archetypes and, you know, some sense, very Jungian, Jungian psychology, like focusing on these, you know, archetypes that exist in collective conscience. And that obviously has lessons, but it's, uh, yeah, it's really, he's an interesting character because you have, you know, this interest in all the religion, but he's not, um, I mean, I'm assuming he's a Christian, right? I mean, he was probably born into a Christian family. Um, I don't know if he's like, 
identified as any particular religion on the air, perhaps, but he certainly has a, a lot to say about religion and concepts of God or notions of God. Um, and he's debated guys like Sam Harris and stuff about, I think, certain topics about, let's say, the importance of religion or the importance of having religion as part of social collective mind, right? Because some atheists are like, dude, just we should just forget all of that stuff as part of our history. Like, there's no benefit anymore, right? Um, but yeah, and then you have like this, uh, I think all of that, even he mentioned that he noticed a lot of Muslims were listening to his Bible series and he found that profound. And then he had that stupid video that came out addressing Muslims, I think like, I don't, I think it was a year ago, maybe, or it was not that long ago. No, it was, it happened, it was this I year. Think, when I was in Brazil. Yeah, it, it happened while year. I was here. So well, he was just like, dear Muslims, stop fighting and killing each other in his, you know, Kermit the Frog voice or whatever. <laughs> I thought it was just, I thought it was such a, I, like, I, I, I honestly respected the guy. And then I saw that video. I was like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. Like, you just got too dumb and white for me in this moment. You know, if mm -hmm. I'm going to be blunt, like, it's just like, what, what? I was not expecting a man of that so-called, you know, education and knowledge to say such a thing. But look, yeah, you know, subhanAllah, dude, the guy has done so much benefit. I'm not taking away from his benefit. Like, I respect him more than I don't, right? But it just also teaches us, Noman, like, you could be so freaking knowledgeable, so popular when it comes to these three categories, you know? And then it's like someone asks you about Islam and you have the token you know, re retarded prejudice concepts like Muhammad was a warlord and you Muslims are keep fighting each other and bickering for no reason. It's like, dude, we're, what, you know, but it's just because it's just sad because it's like, like, I'm not super knowledgeable about most things on the planet, like people are right. But I feel like to a degree, when you have some level of wisdom, education, experience, you know, pluralistic dialogue you know credit right and you know that you wouldn't just like like if someone told me asked me like what's hinduism all about i wouldn't say something like oh it's just some stupid religion where they worship monkeys and they're just killing each other for no reason like that's not something an educated academic should say right so I, that just like that that video when he was addressing the muslims like giving us some holy message i felt like that was that just threw me off the rails with him right and then i i started like picking up again on following him because it's like what the what the f is this all about now right because i obviously I, I don't i didn't watch him for years right but this came up and now and then then he started to debate or have more dialogue with muslims right and so he i remember he talked to hamza yusuf he talked to a turkish professor too i think from georgetown and muhammad hijab once and then after i think muhammad hijab again in the uk and that was a big that was a very interesting con topic where Jordan Peterson was there with another Christian professor, I believe. And, you, you know, it was clear to me that that was just a whole like Dawa project, like just like, I want to make this guy take his shahada kind of thing. Right. But anyways, I don't want to veer off too much, but this is like a bit of a, my at least version of how Jordan influenced uh, what I, what I noticed his influence to be over the years. Right. Any thoughts about that? Or where do you want to pick up on yeah. a bunch of <laughs> spots? there? <you> know? <laughs> so his, his, video message to Muslims I thought was so distasteful. And uh, I know that there were some people that said that, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by this, but I'll be honest, I was surprised by that because for a man of his caliber, 
uh, as articulated as he is and as thoughtful as he is, as he is, it's like he went onto like the Fox News website, looked at a few articles, and then he just made the video message to Muslims. It really um, felt you, like that, like he was almost put up to do it or something. Like yeah. it was so out of what you would assume, expect. But yeah, continue. What's interesting though is like when so he had joined this uh, right wing uh, media company called da- the Daily Plus, or excuse me, the Daily Wire. And so once he joined that sort of uh, media company, this right wing media company, you did see a shift in his sort of content, uh, specifically when it comes to things like religion. And so that's when, the Ma- when Matt Walsh that, guy, right? Sorry, Daily Wire. Matt Walsh, yeah, Matt the same Walsh guy who did that documentary. Uh, what is a woman? That that's yeah, the same. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, and also I mean you've got Ben Shapiro on there, Michael Knowles, um, Candace Owens. Uh, these individuals and then he puts then jordan peterson puts out the video message to muslims which was like where did this come from it just just seems like you're reading a script right like ben shapiro gave you the scripts he said here read this right um and yeah when i saw that i was like man you really don't know what you're talking about man like you really don't have you don't have a clue what you're talking about because at one point in the video he mentions that like muslims uh like we as sunni should stop fighting the shias it's like where is that even happening right now? I'm sorry. Like, like what Muslims are you talking to? I suppose um, that are indicating that, but um, you know, when he had that dialogue with Jonathan Pajau and Mohammed Hijab in the UK, Mohammed Hijab opened up the conversation with Jordan Peterson about that video. Right. And he immediately pressed Jordan on that and sort of asking him like, why did you do it? And Jordan Peterson said that he said that, it was a, a way to start a conversation. I'm like, that just seemed, that seemed like BS to me. I remember to say that. something like that. Yeah. No, I remember that. He was making it almost sound like it was a type of like, yeah, it was his way to try to, you know, he's like, well, that's why I'm here, right? To, to open the dialogue, continue the dialogue kind of thing. But it just seemed like, you know, and Jordan Peterson, one thing I admire about him is he always seems to be a, a humble man, right? For the most part, right? at least in certain conversations I've seen him have. Um, but I loved, yeah, it was just so fascinating that he said, like, he thought that was a way to get dialogue going or whatever it was, but it sounded like a half-assed response, to be honest. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I was like, there are better ways to start a conversation than to just make a video like that, which by the way, this video was after he had already had the podcast with Mohammed Hijab and his podcast with Hamza Yusuf. And still he made a video like this. So it was, it was strange, but, um, and then more recently, right? He, he was at Al-Aqsa with Ben Shapiro. Um, he recently had Benjamin Netanyahu on his own podcast. And so, yeah, this has been just interesting sort of phenomenon that's happened on his, on his end, where I feel like he's crossed the line at this point with Muslims. Um, in my honest opinion, as far in, in fact, Hamza Zortis, he released a video where he was reacting to Jordan Peterson's conversation with Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, and Hamza said in part of the video, Hamza said that, you know, this is a red line, like you're crossing a red line here, you know, going to Al-Aqsa, um, you know, uh, talking to Benjamin, someone like Benjamin Netanyahu, like you're crossing red lines here, you know. Dude, um, I'm learning all and- this for the first time right now. I didn't know he went to Aqsa with Ben Shapiro, had Netanyahu in his pocket. This all happened recently? Yes, within the last uh, month or two. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's all new to me, dude. So that's it's like instantly I'm like, shift. And I feel a shift in myself, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, so, so Hamza sort says was saying this was the red line across. Like, I mean, what do you think it was supposed to signify? Like, is it again, just openness to free speech and different perspectives, which I think in the U S we all are supposed to respect that, even though it doesn't happen anymore. But I mean, why do you think he's getting all friendly in that sense with this line or this side of the line? I think, again, it has to do with him joining the Daily Wire, like joining this right wing media company, um, because, you know, this is something that he hadn't done a year ago, two years ago, you know, or, or even when he became a really popular, like he began to get that notoriety. Right. And it's almost like when he talks about religion, when he talks about politics, it's like it's like his brain almost shuts off kind of right because it's like he's just saying things that are stereotypical that are just like um you know sort of shooting off the hip responses um especially when it comes to religion i man it's it's just painful to hear him talk about religion because he seems very um hypocritical when it comes to talking about religion so when he had his discussion with muhammad hijab in the uk um muhammad hijab asked him about the, the belief in God, the idea of believing in God. And um, Muhammad just asked him, like, do you believe in God? And Jordan's response was, what do you mean by do? What do you mean by you? By God. What do you mean by yeah. believe? And what do you mean by God? And it's like, right. I find that to be just so absurd because you know for a fact that if you asked him, what do you, Jordan, what do you want to eat for lunch? He would not, ask, he would not say in response, what do you mean by do? What do you mean by you? What do you mean by want and eat and lunch? Like, it's just, it seems so hypocritical. Like he's, it's like as if he he's not willing to really sort of wrap his mind around the idea that there could be a God and there could be just like one religion that just has it right. I think for him, he just has a very difficult time wrapping his head around that or accepting that. I mean, I get, I get why in such debates you might get all philosophical because I would probably ask something similar if someone asked me, like, do you believe in God? And I'd say, well, it does depend on what you mean by God. But, you know, I guess you, you, a simple way is like, you know, everyone knows what you mean. But it's like, do you think there is a conscious creator to every, the, everything in the universe or not? That's the bottom line, right? That's what we're all thinking about, right? Or that's the question. But what what's... After this, I mean, he's had all these talks, right, with some of these Muslim speakers. I know Muhammad Hijab at least once or twice. And then this one where he had the interview, the one you're talking about. I mean, it was a very strong, like, effort from the Muslim side to try to recruit Jordan Peterson to Islam. Or at least that's what I saw. Like, it was almost like, you know, it was it almost hijacked the conversation, like, because the of that goal. But and then it's interesting politically he joins like the Ben Shapiro right wing, like after that, right? Almost like, you know, it's got too close or too friendly or too, too much dialogue with the Muslims. And, and it's almost like taking a position, like when you join the Daily Wire, and then you said like a month ago, two months ago, he goes to Aqsa. So all this happened after these big talks with the Muslim um, speakers, right? So that's interesting when you think about it, as far as like taking that position afterwards. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I I really don't understand what his game plan is. Like, I don't understand what his objective is with joining the Daily Wire. Well, I understand that he wants to be a part of this sort of media company that allows for free speech because he's very big on free speech. And it makes sense because he was essentially booted from the university that he worked out for years, right? Uh, teaching there. And uh, so, he's, of course, he's big on free speech, but I don't know. I just... Um, but yeah, um, I mean, I've heard other Muslims like basically be like, dude, he's like a total white supremacist and don't follow him. And again, I think that's really extreme. You know, like I really believe as a Muslim, the truth and what's good and beautiful and beneficial can come from anywhere. You know, it doesn't have to be sourced out of like a Muslim guy's lips or a Muslim woman's lips. Right. And again, even today I learned you're like Hamza, this awesome YouTuber. It's like his name's Hamza. And why do we assume, oh, he must be Muslim or coming from that perspective? It's like, well, he's got his own journey around, right? Um, so truth and benefit can come from anybody. And uh, I don't think this concept of canceling or ignoring anybody completely is correct. You know, we've seen a lot of that free speech cancellation stuff happen already, right? And then who's who has the power to decide that? There's still always some dominant ideology in every power structure in society that's going to determine whose voice matters, right? Or whose voice is dangerous or not. And that might bring us to Andrew Tate. So this guy, man, I think what a character to say the least, you know? I think I saw him the first time was on, I don't know, I think it was Fresh and Fit podcast once. And he was like, had his sunglasses on and he's sitting with like all these hot chicks around him. And it was on the Fresh and Fit podcast. And I was just like, the first thing I thought to myself was like, wow, who the hell does this guy think he is? And then I just listened for like an hour and a half. And I was like, wow, dude, he's also saying some refreshing things, although they may not be, you know, packaged in the most polite gentleman way. But I mean, I'm also Bostonian, dude. So I just, I do like that, you know, curt, straight, sarcastic, salty, sometimes hard, bust your balls feedback, right? Which... He gives a lot of, right? But, and then you just see what happened. You know, this guy has just evolved. Like at first, just like, why is this guy like on these podcasts? What's the big deal? And then you learn like, oh, the history of he was a fighter and now he's doing this and that. But it's just so interesting. Like why, why him? Like, why did he just pop out? Like, or, like Jordan Peterson, why him? Why this random professor from Canada? It's like, when you also think about it, it's like, you know, why the Beatles? You know, why anybody just became a someone that the whole world knows about? Like there's something about that too, like in our story as a human planet, right? It's like there's certain characters that, you know, their voice becomes something everybody's aware of. Like, and that's also part of God's will, you know, if you want to think about it in that sense, you know, it's like he does allow everything to happen in the way it does for a reason, right? So, but yeah, what an interesting character. Of course, I've talked to some young Muslim men. Um, I'd say the people who are younger, like probably also, you know, a little more influenced with the left politics. They all think, you know, he's a complete chauvinist, sexist, you know, narcissistical, megalomaniac, you know, all the negative, horrible things, right? And then you may have the other extreme where it's like cultish admiration slash, you know, worship, you know, his word is gospel kind of thing, right? But uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you as a young man that I, you know, as a young man, how did you, how do you view him? And what, of course, are, you know, what would you say are the good and bad things that could be happening as a um, impact from Andrew Tate with young men or Muslim men or. I'll be honest. I love Andrew Tate. 
<laughs> I love that you're being honest. I um love it. Yeah. I I'm on the Andrew Tate train right now. And I, I would say that especially after he accepted Islam, um, I was more open to hearing to hearing what he has to say, right? So I I knew about Andrew Tate about three to four years ago, um, when like he wasn't known by anybody. And I came across him on Twitter and he would often post things. And essentially what he posts is essentially what he says when he's talking, right? So he's, it's very similar. Um, but he has always been the same person. Like he has not changed. Um, even when he became, I mean, he's the most famous man in the world right now, right? He's still the same guy as he was four or five years ago, where he was still saying a lot of praise about Islam, um, where he was talking about things, how, you know, the world has gone into degeneracy, uh, where we've lost values as a society, um, where men are not men anymore. Uh, We've lost our um, understanding of masculinity, of manhood. And I, what I love about Andrew Tate is that he's, because of his life experience where, you know, he's been a kickboxer, he has gone through very difficult things in his life. He, like you said, is a straight shooter, right? And so for him, he doesn't beat around the bush when he's talking to young men. Like he's very direct with young men. And um, his message is very clear. Like it's, you know, stop wasting your time, you know, focus on your, your priorities, like, you know, do something with your life, you know, get out of the matrix as you, as, as he often talks about like the matrix, right? Like get out of that sort of world in that, in that sort of realm. Like he talks about hedonism, you know, the idea of like maximizing pleasure and reducing pain as much as possible. And he says like, look, hedonism is a black hole. Like you will never be fulfilled with hedonism. The idea of just constantly, you know, fulfilling your desires, having your pleasures filled, it's a black hole. It's never going to end. And this is somebody who had the, the literal dunya in his hands. With a, I mean, we don't really know how much he's valued at. Sure, he can say like 300 million, but that's just, you know, on paper. But like the actual amount of wealth he has, I mean, this guy had the dunya in his hands. Women, cars, wealth, homes. I mean, you know, just having everything. And even after that fact, he still chose Islam. And that to me is just so profound. I mean, who would have thought, like, honestly, like even at at the beginning of this year, who would have thought Andrew Tate was, is going to accept Islam. Right. In fact, I would have felt like, um, it it wouldn't have been anytime soon. Of course he had been talking with many Muslims. Um, in fact, he talked to Noman Ali Khan. I think it was, uh, on the Dean show. I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. On the Dean show. It was on the Dean show. Um, and it was, I think this year may have been last year or something like that. But, um, yeah, I think those are some of the positives with Andrew Tate that he's somebody that is very passionate about helping young men. Um, you know, telling young men that look, this this life is not about just f- you know fulfilling your desires or just maximizing your pleasure. That's not what this world is about. It's about like doing something with your life as a young man. Um, now, of course, I would say the negatives would be that he. Uh, you know, could be a little bit more polite with his message. And he has shifted his tone a bit after accepting Islam. He's not as blunt as he used to be, let's say like a year or two ago. Um, you know, he uses less vulgar language here and there, but um, he has shifted his tone. In fact, he's very honest with uh, himself now. Um, when he was on a podcast um, a couple months ago, he even said himself that the cam girl business that he ran in his life, he said that this was haram. 
this, those were his words. You know, he said like, yeah, that, that was haram, you know? And so he's, you can see the shift within him. And I think that's, um, it's amazing. I, and I, I'm ex- like, I'm excited for him, right? I'm excited to see sort of how he takes his journey. Um, he recently went to Jummah. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. He went to Jummah and, uh, because he's living in Dubai. So he went, uh, went there, but I, um, yeah, you know, he's my brother in Islam, so I can't say anything. I can't backbite him anymore. <laughs> or we can't, you know, people who don't like him can't backbite him anymore. Um, but I think it's it's interesting to see the reaction to how women view Andrew Tate and how men view Andrew Tate. And I, I wouldn't even specify like Muslim men, Muslim men or Muslim women. I think it's just men and women, like how our reactions are to Andrew Tate. And it's almost a day and night difference. It's like with women, generally with women, it's like, he's a misogynist, he's sexist, he hates women, he's a chauvinist. Uh, but with men, it's like, yeah, you know, about 70% of what he says is true. Like, it's I, like preaching the gospel for yeah, a lot of men, dude. Yeah, and then a lot of the guys that I have uh, spoken to, uh, to entertain about, they always tell me like, yeah, like 80% of what he says is true. Like 70% of, of what he says is true. So it's a brief, it's an interesting uh, sort of um, takeaway that men and women have from Andrew Tate. Yeah. I mean, delivery and speech or method, you know, analogies, right. All that is like, he's definitely, you know, a good wordsmith in a lot of ways. Um, I think a lot of the principles that he talks about are important, right? I mean, he is a person who believes that sacred life is more important than secular. He does obviously notice this Illuminati matrix, satanics, you know, agenda that's happening, right? In in the world. And, you know, he's also just like, dude, everyone, no one wants, to, he, he, I mean, as he, he always says, I say what everyone else is thinking, but they're too afraid to say. Right. And so I think maybe that's why he speaks to so many people and men specifically because of this. I mean, it is a lot of degeneracy that's been happening, dude. I mean, I can't, again, still, you know, internalize the changes I've seen in society and perceptions of society around marriage, around gender, around religion from when I was 20 to now. Right. Like, and I'm 41, I think, going on 42. So, I mean, so much has happened and like, dude, I can't even feel like I can catch up to it. And my son is like, he's turning seven soon, dude. And like, these questions are happening like all the time already, like religion, God, you know, man and woman, marriage, right? All these things are coming up and it's like, you know, and now I'm trying to think like, man, raising kids in the United States is, it's actually getting more difficult by the day for people that actually have a worldview or, or um, you know, a cosmology of based on religious faith or so forth that they want to implement because politics and the government is starting to, you know, meddle and get too involved in what they want people to believe. And that's a problem, right? And it's happening in the United States of America. So it doesn't feel safe as safe, you know? Like, dude, you're a 27 year old man. Imagine when you have kids in the next 10, 15 years, let's say, what the hell is going to be going on even in Texas that's considered a conservative, more conservative community than California or New York or what have Like, so it's interesting that he's calling all this, calling all these things out, you know? So I do respect that side of like, you know, because that's a very, I can relate to that a lot from an Islamic perspective, right? Even the prophet told us like the, there's things about the dunya 
It's very dangerous, slippery slope can take you to hell. The Dagelic system, this concept of a falsehood system, a falsehood agenda, culture, that's going to make you forgetful of Allah and lose your fitra and lose your inner goodness as Benny Adam, right? All these things are happening, you know? So that stuff is happening, right? It's like he can, he talks about that stuff. Now, uh, when it comes to gender and women and relationships, I think that's just always popular. People always want to talk about sexual uh, relations, right? Between man and woman and how to succeed. And that's usually a big problem that most men have, right? Is like they want a woman or they failed with the woman or the woman they love doesn't, thinks they're a loser. Like a lot of that has to do with confidence and identity and fulfilling your potential as a man, right? It's all about woman, right? And how, because they validate you around that, you know? So yeah, man, it's, uh, I definitely would say I'm more on the side of enjoying his content than not enjoying his content for sure. Um, Obviously, if I, you know, I may say things differently, but, you know, God bless him, dude. And again, because he took a Shahada, I don't think it's anyone's right to have like a conspiracy theory about that. Like, oh, this is all fake or it's political. I mean, we don't know, you know, nobody, I don't think anyone should say things like he's not a real Muslim or, I mean, that to me is just absurd. You know, it's just, it's not your religion. It belongs to Allah. Let Allah decide, you know, everyone else down here is, pretty much trying to do their best with what they know. And that typically is very little. So I don't think it's anyone's place to like, certainly know that they, um, they understand someone else's intentions or can make such existential claims, which I've heard from comments or whatever on some of these videos, right? And it's just like, what the hell? It's just like, don't you have something better to do? Um, but anyways, yeah, it's a big, he's a big, uh, big topic dude, right now. It's uh such an interesting time and the censorship too around the cancellation and everything was interesting because that has a lot to do with him as well right as far as you know and why do you think he was censored like because he was sexist and misogynist and all this stuff it's like what why not why isn't free speech allowed though because i mean who cares if you don't like him don't listen to him right like why do you think he was shut down because he probably had a lot of influence on the young men and young men are the people who actually can you know, cause a shift or disruption in a society, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so I certainly don't buy the fact that, or the idea that he was canceled because he said things that were trans, transphobic, homophobic, sexist, misogynistic, because sure, he may, he may have said things that, you know, like maybe he said things in, in jest, maybe he shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have said that. But if you account for everything that he has said while he's been on social media, those things that are like misogynistic or transphobic account for like maybe less than 1% of what he said, right? And so I do believe it's because of the fact that he has such a strong influence on young men, especially like high school age kids, college kids. Um, what That was the reason why he was ultimately canceled. Um, and... I remember when he was canceled, like there was essentially, essentially it was almost like a, um, it was like something that was like a, not a, not a, not a petition, I would say, but it was uh, something that people wanted to happen, actively wanted to happen. I remember there was a post on Instagram that went viral um, and uh, it was about like him making, you know, these comments here and there. And I just found it so interesting that, there were Muslims that were cheering on his cancellation. 
But this, and of course, this is before he became Muslim. But I find that interesting because it's like, you know, let's be honest here. I'm not surprised by that, to be honest. Well, I'm not surprised by it, but I, I, I do want to say that it was wrong for Muslims to cheer on his cancellation because we do have to be honest that as Muslims, um, the the belief of Muslims, the belief of a Muslim is just so opposite to the modern secular liberal world. What our beliefs are on, on things like marriage, things on homosexuality, things like punishment for certain crimes. Like if there were enough non-Muslims that learned about just these three topics, I mean, Muslims would be getting canceled left and right. So the idea that Muslims cheered on the, the cancellation of Andrew Tate, I found it to be very distasteful. Um, now, it wasn't all Muslims, but there were some Muslims that did that. What was interesting, though, is that he was essentially uncanceled uh, about two months ago because there was this guy in the UK. His name is True Jordy. True Jordy. Um, he has his own podcast where um, he made comments like about Muslims, like these sort of stereotypical um, prejudice comments towards Muslims about like blowing ourselves up. Like he has a, a guy on his podcast, True Jordy. Um, who helps him with his podcast. And he was talking about Andrew Tate. And um, True Jordy said, like, if Andrew Tate is true and sincere to his conversion to Islam, he should blow himself up. An idiot. And this guy was essentially canceled. And then, yeah. And then it's what was funny is that Andrew Tate responded to, to True Jordy. And he's like, <laughs> of course, Andrew Tate being vulgar, I don't, I don't want to say what he said exactly. But um, Andrew Tate was essentially like, look, man, you need to watch your mouth. Like, you don't talk about another man's religion like that. And um, a lot of people were like, wow, this guy, like, True Jordy, really crossed the line. And essentially, like, Andrew Tate was, like, uncanceled at that point. Wow, man. Yeah, that's uh, – it's going to be an interesting, I guess, YouTube um, or social – I guess he's not on YouTube anymore, Andrew Tate, right? He's on Rumbler now as far as video and live and stuff. Yeah, he's on uh, Rumble, Rumble like a like – a, yeah, it's like an uncensored version of YouTube, essentially. Yeah. I mean, he does make his appearance on social media via different podcasts that he's invited to. Um, and then his clips are just shared all over. So like whether it's TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Um, so that's sort of how he stays on like the main, uh, these main platforms. But again, it's like the fact that these big tech companies went after this just one guy. Like he, they went after this one guy who has not harmed anyone. He's not caused harm to anyone. And he's just saying things that although these big tech companies may disagree with, the fact that they just kicked him off completely is, it is. seriously alarming. And that should be alarming to Muslims. Like that should be alarming to us. The fact that this one guy who, again, didn't harm anyone, didn't cause harm to anyone, was kicked off because of what he said. And for me as a Muslim, I'll be honest, that's alarming. On our way to totalitarianism, I mean, it's dude, the second the second the government says you shut up, you can't think like this, you can't talk like this, you can't do this, you become totalitarian. Right? Next is it's just, you know, you you're gonna conform and have to do and think. And that's I mean, you always see that. Again, there's always a dominant ideology at the top of the power structure of any given society, right? There's a dominant view of how they want. The powerful want the rest of us to think and behave, right? School itself is social engineering, institutionalization, you know? Um, I mean, every time I talk to a young couple 
and you get some of this like far left extreme concepts infiltrating what they're trying to have as a postmodern Muslim traditional marriage or relationship. It's like, where does all that come from? It's because you both went to university and you both were socially engineered in your schools, right? That's why you're dealing with this problem right now, you know? So, or these problems, like there's a bunch of them, man. but I mean, I, I see a lot of the um, lack of healthy yin and yang in relationships, you know, because of the confusion that's going on. But it is very alarming to think like, if you say enough, or, I mean, obviously you have to have enough influence. They don't give a crap about someone like me, right? Like if, you, if I say everything that they don't want you to say, it's not going to make a difference, right? Because you don't have the influence or impact. So he did. And so that just tells us like there is a war of ideas. There, we're at war in belief and, and value and principle and what's ethical, what's not, you know? And Andrew Tate's just an example of like somebody who has a lot to say, has a lot of influence and they cancel him or shut him off. Why? It's like free speech, What's wrong with free speech now? It's like the tolerance isn't, doesn't go both ways, you know? It's, it's uh, and, you know, we've all known that, but it's, it is a good reminder for the Muslims, you know, it's like, especially if we think we're going to get buddy-buddy with certain groups or, you know, clans of, of ideas or beliefs. And then, you know, it just shows anyone can throw you under the bus the second you're not conforming 100% to their agenda or you, they, you're not a slave in the way they want you to be a slave, right? And the reality is Allah told us, you are created by design to worship and serve and be slaves of something. That's in our nature, right? And so we can turn into these slaves of other things other than Allah. I mean, it's so fascinating that shirk is the biggest and only unforgivable sin, right? Conscious shirk, let's say, right? And there's minor and major shirk in Islam. Associating partners or associating the rights and powers that belong only to God to other than God, right? Like this marriage thing that got passed with Joe Biden recently, you know, even he, even in his statement, he's like, this is secular and sacred. It's like, he contradicts himself. It's like secular is the opposite of sacred. You know, it's not in, you know, this is constitutional. It's like in the constitution, it says all rights are endowed by the creator. When you want to make it secular, you're not talking about the creator anymore. Right. So marriage is no longer rooted in the actual constitution of that we're, we have unalienable rights by the creator himself. So that's not part of our political discussion where marriage is no longer considered something sanctified because what is sacred anymore, honestly, in America? I don't know. Besides business. Right. What is sacred? Like, there's no reason to have anything be sacred. So it's not, you can change the definitions of everything. There's no more standard. It's, uh, yeah, dude, honestly, even spending a year outside of the US and, you know, I haven't followed the news extensively, but just like popping up here and there stuff, it just makes me more worried about going back. And I have kids who are young. So that's, a, that's like a real existential question I have as far as my purpose as a man and a father. It's like, what do I do here? Like, what's best for my family? Think about that, dude. Like, that's a hard place to be in. So I need your job, you know? It's like, it's like really, like, what's best for my dunya nakhir and my children? You know? Yeah. I know um, I've, I know I, when you mentioned earlier, 
<clears throat> me being 27 now and then, you know, having kids 10, 15 years from now, what the world would be like then, like that's a headache I, I don't even want to deal with or even think about, you know. And um, honestly, I think for Muslim parents, the future is homeschooling. 100% it's homeschooling. Um, and in fact, I know of someone um, and I was speaking to him a, a couple of months ago where um, him and his friends, him and his married friends, they do have an idea of doing homeschooling where each par parent teaches a different subject. Um, and I thought that was a great idea. Now, of course, you know, the details weren't fully flushed out. This is just sort of an idea. But I think for Muslim parents, this is the future. Homeschooling is the future. Um, you know, I just saw a post on Instagram from a very reputable um, Muslim media company called Islamify, where they shared a post how Muslim and Christian parents in Ohio sued the school over a transgender wow. bathroom policy. And I, when I, it's like, when you see stuff like that, it's like, man, this is just like the beginning, you know? And, and I, I think if, if Muslims want their kids to, to get a proper education, either they have to send them to a reputable Islamic school, not just any Islamic school, which I'm against is I, I don't like the idea of, of just send your kid, kid to an Islamic school. No, it has to be a proper Islamic school. Um, and there is a, there is one here in the area of where I live that has that reputation that is actually pretty good for an Islamic school um, or just homeschool your kids, you know, take that upon yourself and to do and, and go that route. Yeah, man. It's a, it's definitely an anxiety. I live with every day. Dude. You get anxiety and stress just thinking about that. You know, it's like I'm in it, dude. you know, it, sometimes it's hard to sleep at night really. Cause it's just like, you know, what to do here. But um you know, there's a couple of really good things that I heard from you today as far as helping young men develop in their manhood. Um, one was having a healthy relationship with your body. So learning what to eat and how to eat it. Exercise, as you shared with us, like in the last two years, how that's, you know, caused some changes. Journaling. So in a way to being able to frequently uh, develop the capacity to express yourself. And more, what's nice about journaling is when you actually, you know, have something like that, where you can open it a book and look through and see like, wow, this is what I was thinking two years ago or three years ago or this and that, like, it's a nice historical account of yourself, like your personal inner development. So that's also an awesome tip, you know, is there a third one that you would say has helped you specifically as far as becoming, you know, more of a man that you want to be? Um, I know you mentioned earlier, you're doing a career change which is a big deal because that has a lot to do with finding fulfillment, like how you become a provider and earn, which we talked about briefly at the beginning. Yeah, I think a career change or sticking to a career that you are passionate about, that you genuinely care about, plays such a pivotal role on a mental health for a man. Because I think the idea of choosing a dead end job is outdated in this generation. Like I think the Gen Z, these Gen Z uh, young young men, they're not going to choose a job that's like a dead end type job. I really do believe that. Um, I think, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't much of a choice. It's kind of like, you know, it is what it is. But I think this day and age, it's like you have that option to sort of see what works and what doesn't work as far as a career. And for me personally, I chose sales because look, uh, the idea of being an accountant and 
sort of keeping to yourself all day and not really being as social as, as often is, is something that I am not uh, excited about or passionate about. And so for a young man to choose something that he is uh, willing to go to and work every, you know, five days a week and sacrifice that time, sacrifice um, that effort, I think is, is hugely important. Absolutely, man. I love it. Do you know what you're going to, what kind of sales you want to go into? Like, what are you drawn to sell? Honestly, I want to get into tech sales because I mean, to be honest, that's where the money's at, but um, it's the best of both worlds, right? Because it's in tech, it's in the tech world, but also it's still sticking to sales. Um, uh, I, have a fr- I have a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. He is a senior, um, uh, he's in a senior sales position, essentially senior AE account executive position at LinkedIn. And, um, you know, he, he loves it there. And uh, that's essentially where I would like to go with my career. Wonderful, man. Well, God bless you. And uh, it was also a great conversation with you today, man. I, it was nice to talk about some of these things that are going on in the young men's movements or men's movements in general. Um, and, you know, I, I honestly ask a lot of guy to all of us and uh, myself, you, Jordan Peterson, Hamza, Andrew Tate, whoever is trying to put an effort, you know, out there um, to make things more balanced, more aligned with truth. You know, again, I'm, I'm really not against anybody. Like I even follow or listen to Ben Shapiro sometimes or Sam Harris, like people that, you know, you're like, oh, that's just over there. It's like, no. I mean, even the Godfather said, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, you know? So not to say I have any, any enemies, but my point is, is even when you have enemies in thought or ideology, right? Like anti-Muslim people, it's like, there's, we should learn like what is going on for them. Right, because a lot of times fear and anger and hatred comes from a misunderstanding or distance from making proper meaning of something. Right, once I understand you better, I don't fear you and I don't um, dehumanize you as easily. This is just part of how we are, right, as as a species. So, you know, I ask a lot of increases, and uh, yeah, man, I, I hope to do this again with you soon. Thanks again for having some coffee with me today. Appreciate it, man, and uh, I wish you all the best, inshallah. Um, may Allah increase you and uh, inshallah we do this again soon.